Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader or investor. Wealth Within was voted number three for stock market podcasts globally in 2018, so I hope you enjoy listening. We cover topics from trading to investing, as well as wealth creation to ensure you can achieve your financial goals. Because as we always say, lifestyle matters. As a global leader in stock market education, you can fast track your journey towards financial freedom by studying with Wealth Within. If you'd like more information about our government accredited courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre. Please note that the information in this podcast should not be considered personal financial advice. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Doug Gillum, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. And today, I really wanted to chat a bit about returns because we, you know, we finished the end of the financial year, 30th of June, and we're now moving well and truly into the, the third quarter of the calendar year. So, and, and people often looking at their investments at this time of year, obviously for their tax reasons, uh, for tax returns and a whole range of things. And, and obviously with reporting season on the market, you also get that affecting returns, whether it's your portfolio or your managed fund returns. Um, and we're seeing a lot of that sort of stuff coming out. So I thought, well, it's probably a good time for me to chat about returns because I know there's um, returns or looking at returns provides a lot of or causes a lot of angst amongst um, investors and people looking after their portfolios because you know we're bombarded with ads on the TV from our fund managers or places uh, looking for our money uh, or us to invest our money with them and it, there's just this plethora of stuff going on and it can get quite confusing it gets confusing for people in the industry let alone investors and I, I remember chatting to a group of financial planners one day a few years back and I was chatting to them and I said yeah, who reads all that stuff that you get across your desk in your emails and magazines and journals all those sorts of things and they, they all put their hand up and I said who's overwhelmed and they all put their hand up and this is probably 50 to 100 sort of 60, 70, 80 um, financial advisors in the room and they all left their hand up and I said to them well if you're overwhelmed what do you think your clients are you know our job is to make it more simple for you and whilst I'm not a financial planner our job is to explain things to you know investors or our clients so that it is more simple for them and to sort of cut through the crap so to speak and give them what's important and when you get this sort of times a year time a year you start seeing returns on managed funds you know their first half year you know what they got in the first half of the year or what they get for the financial year and it's interesting how the industry does report their fees and also report their returns and i know you know asic i've been trying to crack down on the government's looked at it but again you know this industry this financial industry services industry is massive and you know we've had the whole royal commission and i still don't think there's going to be enough changes from that royal commission and you know when you're getting you know that big end of town you know, some of these people running these funds and uh, they're getting gazillions of dollars and they're not really performing that well. I was reading a report only a few, about two weeks ago, how the average self-managed super fund, according to the tax office, is outperforming industry super funds, which doesn't surprise me, um, but it's not by much. But anybody, and I'll say any single person listening to this podcast, if you have a self-managed super fund, you can outperform 
any industry fund, you can outperform pretty much any managed fund with a little bit of knowledge and not have huge fees. And, you know, I was with chatting with self-managed super funds. You know, ASIC likes you to have $200,000 before setting one up. And I was arguing with somebody the other day about that, and they're saying, well, ASIC says this. And I said, yes, but is it in writing, carved in stone, that you absolutely must have $200,000 in a, before you go into a self-managed fund, or is it just their opinion that that's what you should have? And the person said, well, it's their opinion. And I said, so me as the investor, it's up to me whether I have $200,000 or 50000 or 100000 Because to me, it's just about returns versus cost. How much are you getting and how much is it costing you to get? Now, industry funds push themselves out as low cost, you know, low fees, no fees, blah, blah, blah. And yet, I don't think they're performing that well. They're performing okay and people are happy with it, but 7%-ish. Our market's done much better than that. Just owning the top 10 stocks, you would have done better than any industry fund. And if you bought and held those over the past few years, you would have done well, you know. And that's the point is, you know, be in the market when it's conducive and, and stay out of it. But what are returns? You know, you're getting these figures and, you know, what is a return that you're actually getting? Now, generally, t- most investors like absolute returns. And to me, absolute return is really how much money did you get? as the percentage of what you invested. So if I invested $10,000 and my absolute return was 10%, I made 10% of $10,000, so I made $1,000. So investors understand that. But then you've got relative returns that come into the picture, which is really where the, the returns are adjusted to show performance compared to an underlying, which is generally a benchmark. So often you'll see managed funds, they compare themselves to the... Um, all orders index or the top 200 stocks on the index or the accumulation index or some underlying benchmark and the industry is absolutely big on benchmarks and I know you know because we do run a managed investment scheme and we're individually managed accounts for our clients and we were getting looking at research reports and and this was a huge area for us to try and to explain to people in the industry, exactly what we do, and uh, and they still don't get it that well. They always said, you must have a benchmark. We went, why? Our investors just want us to get the best return they possibly can. Why do we need to benchmark it against something that's not even a relative benchmark? In terms of if I'm buying just shares for you, and just Australian shares for you, and we're only trading for them to rise in price, then why do I need to worry about the All Lord News Index, which is 500 shares and benchmark to that, when I'm only wanting 8 to 12 shares for our clients? That's not fair. Or why do I need to benchmark it against something that might have property or cash into it? Because that's not fair either. So it gets to that sort of um, what really is relative to you as an investor, what's important to you, and I think absolute return is more important to you. This is what I started the year with. This is what I ended the year with that's how much money I got. And that's really what investors like to keep it, keep it that simple because investment performance is often measured using these relative returns to to see how much of their gains resulted in maybe a fund manager making better decisions and that sort of stuff. But as I said, at the end of the day, you know, people really do like absolute returns, which really are unadjusted for anything. They're just, I'm, I gave you that, and this is what I've got. And, and that's really about that. Um, some people talk a bit about like risk-free rate of returns. Now, a risk-free rate of return is really as cash is risk-free rate of returns because if you're in a, in a term deposit bank account, 
you know, not taking risks with your money. So compared to that, but it's not really something that people um, really sort of look at a lot in risk-free rate of returns. But again, we're looking about um, that people are also talking to us about, well, hey, if the market's going bearish, and it's not, but there's a lot of talk around that our market will is a bit overheated and will fall away, and we've just made a new all-time high, so I'm not sure how that's working. Um, but they're saying, well, you know, hey, well, should I be going short in the market or getting into a hedge fund? Now, hedge funds are an interesting mix of bag in themselves, and uh, it, it is simply hedge funds trade the market long and short. Now, what I mean by long and short, if you're not familiar with the terms, long means you're buying something at a price to sell it again at a higher price sometime down the track. So that's going long. So it means buying, maybe buying a share for a dollar, selling it at two dollars, that's going long. Going short is exactly the opposite. You're buying at a dollar in hope that it will fall away to 50 cents or you know 70 cents or 60 cents or 30 cents or whatever that price is. So you're buying something with the hope of selling it later on for a lesser price. Or sorry, you're not buying it. You're entering into an exposure onto something for it to fall away. So in generally, it's short, short selling is you're selling something you don't own, which is a really strange concept for a lot of people to grasp. But managed funds, what they do is they have a big pool of stocks that they hold for their investors. Um, excuse me, I'll just take a drink. And so they might have you know, 10 million BHP shares and 100 million Telstra shares, and they have this massive bucket of shares. What they do is they lend those shares that are a part of your investment, they lend those out to other people, to institutions through brokers and brokers facilitate that. Those other people will then take those shares and sell them. The money goes into a bank account uh, that earns interest and part of that interest will go back to the managed fund to help them with their returns. But meanwhile, those shares aren't held by that managed funds again. Now they've set up tri-party agreements and all that, so it's nice and legal and nice and safe. And if they want those shares back, they go back to the broker and say, we want our shares back and they come back, but that's happening all of the time. It's called securities lending, and there's also uh, different types of lending around there, but what they're using is that pool of shares that you own to bring money in, a little bit more money in, a percentage of the interest that's made on the money, on the cash sitting in that bank account after the shares were sold. So that's shorting the market where somebody sells the shares, puts the money in the bank account, and waits. Now, hedge funds will do that, but hedge funds do a few other different things. They also use other different forms of leveraging where that could be going um, shorting for markets for the falling away. So if they think there's a bear market happening, they'll put some shorts in on the marketplace. Now, from a trader's point of view, I went, okay, I understand that, and I've shorted the market before. But at the end of the day, as a fund manager, you know, there's, you know, when you're looking at your stock stocks portfolio, for example, if you've got 10 stocks in your portfolio, I've actually done the research and looked at it and go, okay, well, if I'm exiting my stocks because I've got some good solid rules on that, what's the difference, what distance does it fall on average to my stocks? What's the cost of moving my position into a short position or funding a short position and doing that as opposed to just selling out and buying back later? And... Remember when you go into a short position for the market to fall away, if you take a hedge fund, if you invest in a hedge fund, you've got to get your timing right because if you get it wrong, the price of the hedge fund will decrease as the market rises. Okay, But as the market falls, the price of your units in that hedge fund will rise. Okay, Therefore, you, in theory, you make more money. And what you're trying to do when you're hedging the market is trying to get a neutral position. So whatever, if you've got a $100,000 portfolio, you might take a $100,000 hedge 
um, and trying to get a neutral position. Some people try and make more money out of the hedge side of it. And I try not to get this too complex. But what you've got to do is you've got to get in and get out at the right time in terms of that because those slippages between it falling and rising again is where you're going to get caught and lose money. Um, and I find we found that what people are doing is often not necessarily great in their timing. And, you, and it's pretty normal for people not to get their timing right um, into the marketplace. But the cost of going into a hedge or setting it up and doing all that sort of stuff and then getting out of it again is generally not worth it. So to me, if you were somebody thinking about hedging your portfolio using a hedge fund, um, or uh, we, we know the market rises at least two-thirds of the time, so hedge funds don't make money two-thirds of the time. They're only making money when they're falling and stocks that are falling. So you're better off just in direct stocks yourself and exiting. And, and the other couple of things I talk about with managed funds and, and what a lot of people don't look at is the unit pricing on their managed funds. So whilst you've got different returns coming through on managed funds and the benchmarks we talked about, to me, as I said, absolute returns is what most investors want. Well, how much do I, do I have today? And how much am I going to have in 12 months time? Or what did I have 12 months ago and what's there today? Have I made some money? And that's really what people are looking for. And getting returns of 10% or better is not hard. And it really isn't not hard. And I'll keep pushing that is just buy and hold the top 10 stocks on your average 10 plus percent over any 10 year period on the Australian stock market. And this is what you will do. And this is something that the managed funds can't beat. They really don't. And, and even industry funds don't beat this sort of stuff because they charge you fees. But when you're looking at investments into managed funds, you're getting unit pricing. So you buy shares for a unit and you sell them for unit pricing. So to get into it, now there's a bid ask spread. Now, more of, a lot of you might be um, okay with understanding that the stock market, when you're buying and selling shares, there's a buy price. And there's a sell price or bid ask spread on a on, on a stock. So let's, for example, say there's a stock for a dollar. Um, its last sale was a dollar, and there's a asking price of a dollar one. And somebody's got a dollar down. The, sorry, once the seller wants a dollar and one, and the buyer wants to still pay a dollar like the previous person did. Or the uh, yeah, or um, so there's that one cent difference between the bid and the asking price. Now you may still get the person wanting to buy may still get it for a dollar, but the seller must move down that one cent to be a dollar dollar, and it quite often what happens. But when you're looking at managed funds, there is no every second that somebody else is putting bids and everything else. It's the month fund setting it all up for themselves. So with the fund that bid ask spread is there the whole time, and when you put money into your managed funds you're getting one unit pricing, but if you were to sell immediately, withdraw that same amount of money, you'd get less back than you put in. And you're going, how does that work? Well, that's working the bid and ask spread. So there's a fee, but it's not called a fee. And this is how they also make money from you because what you put in, if you put $10,000 into your managed fund, you're buying the units at a higher price than what you are selling them for if you had to withdraw. And that little, that, that arbitrage is in the middle. Now arbitrage, is just briefly, I'll explain that to you. I'll pick up my piece of paper. Arbitrage is where the manager attempts to profit from the pricing inefficiency or disruptioncy um, in either you know, securities or, or whatever you call it. So there's arbitrage going along in the stock market all the time. And you might have heard about this sort of high frequency trading systems where these stockbrokers set themselves up near exchanges and they, they're jumping in the queue with their trades. And that's what they're trying to do. If there's trades going through, they're trying to beat them to get a slightly tiny little bit of the clip in the middle of there of the pricing, which is arbitrage. 
But arbitrage is the difference between the bid and ask price on your unit pricing in your managed fund. So if you've got uh, an industry super fund or a normal managed fund, you'll actually see a bid and ask uh, pricing. So buying price and a selling price, and they'll both be different. So don't think that's not a fee, because it is a fee. It's you're getting less for your money. Um, because they've got that spread there. So always watch that. So don't just assume because something has lower fees on the surface, we only charge you know X percent. It doesn't mean that's the only way they make money from having your money invested in it. So as I said, I, I don't tr- try not to make things too complex. So that was more about what are returns and what real returns are to you. And looking at apples versus apples, and it does get really complex in this financial system into we have in Australia returns are quoted you know, I won't say all sorts of different ways, but majority of different ways. And, you know, is it one-year returns, two-year returns, three-year returns, five-year returns, 10-year returns? What do you actually look at? And to me, every every year look at your returns. Now don't You're never going to expect every single year it's going to be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger your returns. It just doesn't happen that way. Just because a fund made 10% last year doesn't make means it's going to do 10% the next year. Maybe do 2% or maybe 22%. It just depends on the market. The market forces will determine the return. You as the investor just need to decide well, what's acceptable for me based on what I'm paying for it. Um, and again, I keep going back to the point that if you buy my book, accelerate your wealth, you can make 10% plus per annum every single year just with the top 10, top 20 stocks easily. It doesn't take a lot of knowledge and you can do better for yourself than using the, the industry and the managed funds and paying their fees. You've got more control. All you've got to do is make sure you're protecting your downside, and that's the provision I make, and we show you that in the book. So, But uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this little podcast on fees and performance. And, um, it's just, as I said, I was just trying to help people explain a little bit here because I know a lot of people get confused with the terminology and that, but that's it for me for this week. If you'd like me to chat about a subject or you've got a question for me that you'd like me to cover in a podcast, always feel free to shoot me an email through to info at wealthwithin.com.au. You just put in talking my podcast question for Dale um, and have a look because uh, I'd love to help you out there but and, and really help you understand the marketplace. As I said, that's it for me. You have a great week and I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Wealth Within, a global leader in stock market education. For more information on our courses or to listen to more Talking Wealth podcasts, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the Talking Wealth podcast under the Learning Centre.